I'm Tamara Steele. In this week's show, this Q-League team is feeling strong heading into the second half of the season. And a new space set to open soon in St. John will help you channel your inner artist. The president of the St. John Sea Dogs is feeling optimistic heading into the second half of the season. After struggling early on, the Sea Dogs have won nine of their last 11 games and are now 12th in the league standings. The turnaround comes in the midst of a coaching change for the team. Head coach Josh Dixon was fired on December 2nd and replaced by associate coach Jeff Cowan. Paulson B's Brad Perry spoke with President Trevor Georgie about the team's progress this season. Having reached uh, the break, uh, especially the last stretch where we've won nine of 11 games, um, we've achieved what I was hoping and expected of a team at this point uh, to be a 500 hockey club uh, at Christmas. And um, and to be in the spot that we are, I think that uh, if we had uh, you know, won some games earlier in the year where uh, we had leads, uh, three goal leads or five goal leads, we would be um, you know within the top ten, but within striking distance. And um, we're doing it um, on the backs of still a very young group. So yeah, at, at, at this point, uh, as of uh, today, what are we, December sixteenth? Um, we're uh, we're happy with the progress of the group. Now, I know things have really seemed to pick up for the Sea Dogs here in uh, in the in the last few weeks. I know you had some coaching changes here a couple of weeks ago. Do you think that that's had any sort of impact on it at this point, or you know, is it just kind of a coincidence at this point? Are there other factors that are maybe playing into uh, into the wins, as you mentioned, you know, nine wins in the last eleven games here? Yeah, I think Jeff has done a great job with the group. He's, um, um, you know, it's a different approach uh, than Josh. And uh, he brings you know a lot of uh, playing uh, professional playing experience and uh, a lot of experience also with our organization. He's been here, I think it's his seventh season. So I think Jeff uh, approaches things uh, differently and uh, and with a fresh uh, and with a fresh uh, set of eyes and fresh voice. And I think uh, he's done a great job. And I think the the other piece for us is also just age. You know, as our players um, were you know rookies last year, you know, now a year and a half in. Um, they're really starting to find their uh, find their way here uh, at at uh, 17 and a half uh, years old. Now I know, of course, you announced a uh, a trade today. You're trading uh, your captain over to Ramuski in exchange for uh, for one of their players. How do you hope that that's going to work uh, in your in your favor as we head into uh, the the games after the Christmas break? Yeah, great question. So the the trade's about two things. It's about now and it's about the future. Um, you know, our group is still very young. Um, we're still uh, building, we're, we're commencing our climb uh, to championship seasons. Uh, but uh, so we were able to, to, with this trade, and I can't get into all the details because there's uh, um, you know certain parameters that we can't disclose yet. Um, but with this trade, one right now we bring in Jeffrey Duroche from from Ramuski, who had been a captain before in Gatineau. Um, he's a player that's had 100 plus penalty minutes before. Plays hard, uh, plays well at his own end. So um, you know, good leadership and a different style of player than the Nick Gay. He's certainly not Nick Gay. Um, you won't replace Nick Gay. Uh, that just doesn't happen. Uh, and then the other pieces that uh, that will come uh, won't be really um, uh, disclosed till uh, the draft uh, in June. But um, uh, you know that piece that we'll be bringing in will uh, be a major part um, to our uh, cornerstone to our team uh, for the next two seasons after that. So uh, always tough um, moving your captain, especially someone of quality and class and professionalism as Nick Gay uh, is. But um, but we're we're happy with uh, 
how it shakes it for our team right now and really happy with what it means for the future. And the other piece to that, Nick's been in the league now. He's just 20-year-old season. He hasn't won a cup. And uh, we think we felt we owed it to him to give him a chance to go to a you know, a team that was all in this year. You know, we're not all in this year. We we, we think we can be a really good team. But, you know, certainly Ramuski's at the last year of their cycle. They're where we're going to be in two years. And we want to give Nick that chance uh, uh, to go for a President Cup and uh, his Memorial Cup in his last year. And finally, you know, when you are looking ahead to the next part of this season, you know, what is going to be the the Sea Dogs' focus? I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of advancements in the last few weeks. We've gone from 15th place, I think it was, in the league standings, uh, all the way up to 12th now. What do you do to try to get higher in those standings as we get closer and closer to the playoffs? Yeah, I think a few. A few I mean, second half of the season is simple: win more games. We're a, a team that has shown now in the last eleven games that we can really string together uh, of wins. Uh, we're a team that's starting through just uh, you know age and experience to to really come into our own. And our expectation the second half of the year is to uh, to win more games and. Uh, you know, and, and really, um, and, and play the role of uh, of uh, underdogs, and maybe upset uh, upset a team or two in, in the playoffs. You know, that's that's our expectation of this group, and uh, we've shown in the last eleven games that we can do it. So, uh, we've talked a lot about 2022 and about the future and about how good this team is going to be. We're there now. This team is good already. And uh, so maybe we're going to be that much better two years from now, but we're good already and we can win uh, any given night. So that's our expectation. I'm Brad Perry. A new cafe on Prince William Street in St. John wants to help you channel your inner artist. The art warehouse will be a licensed bar, cafe, and drop-in art studio where people can paint whatever they wish with their friends, date, family, or on their own. Paul Sambu's Danielle McCready chatted with owner Hazel Cochran about the cafe and what led her to create it. My name is Hazel Cochran, and I am opening the art warehouse in St. John, New Brunswick. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about the art, art warehouse, what it does and where it is and all that. Right. Well, we're located on 120 Prince William Street, right downtown. It will be a specialty cafe, selling specialty coffee and lattes, espressos. Also, there's a fun artistic element, which is you can pay uh, based on the size of the canvas to use all of the art supplies in the studio, which is just located in the back of the cafe. So you would come in, determine whether you want to paint on a small, medium, or large canvas, and you have access to the brushes and the paints and the easels and palettes and everything that you'd need to create something at home, but at the cafe. That's awesome. That sounds so mm. unique and like mm. nothing I've ever heard, but like kind of something I've always wanted. Um, right. I feel where'd you, Yeah, where'd you come up with the idea? My family was traveling in Central America, and we happened upon this little art cafe, and I had gone in uh, just for a break, and I guess I did a watercolor and had a beverage <laughs> and uh, worked away for an hour and then and then left it and, and continued on with my family. But to me, it was such, such a great idea. It was a place to relax. Uh, it was also a place to get a drink. Like uh, my cafe, it'll be licensed. So it, it was a break for that vacation, but also... What I loved about it was at home, I didn't have that space to get away and create something. You know, I have a little makeshift kind of easel and I had a newborn baby. So if I were to paint anything, I had to pack it back up at the end of the day. 
to have a designated space to create something really appealed to me. And it's also kind of, you know, increasing access for people who, you know, have maybe always wanted to try their mm. hand at painting but didn't want to, you know, invest in some of the more expensive uh, materials. Definitely, because it's, yeah, it's not just going out and buying the canvas. It's the brushes and it's different styles of brushes and it's the paints and you want to start with three paints or seven. <laughs> it's It's costly. And if you just want to experiment or just want to have fun or just try it, then it's nice to have that option where you're you're not going and, and spending a fortune for um, something that maybe you're only going to do once a year. How do you kind of picture, you know, the maintenance and the upkeep of this space? I, I assume you'd be going through paints and paintbrushes and, and canvases pretty quickly, um, <laughs> but I know, I you're so. also probably prepared for that, but um, tell me a little yeah. bit about how that's all going to work. I have uh, art suppliers with the canvases. I've, I've just ordered a very significant order um, of brushes and acrylic paints. I'm going to start with acrylic and then maybe work my way into waters. But as far as the space and the upkeep, the easels right now are looking very fresh. They're natural wood, um, but I hope that they get covered in, in that creative mess. The, the back of the cafe is going to be a, a messy zone, right? There are aprons like uh, denim aprons to wear while you're creating. But if pink is on the floor or if pink is on the easels, um, I want it to look like a creative space. So hopefully paint does uh, end up in those places. And I guess is is kind of the hope to um, display some of the artwork that people have created as well if they, if they so choose to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also want to display local artists' work on the walls. There's this gorgeous brick wall, um, and I'd, I'd love to display works. And then also, yeah, absolutely, if there's people in there creating in the back, there's a few blank walls um, that could also display some of their work. In addition to that, there's also a beautiful mural by a local artist, uh, Pamela Pierce, that she's created in the space, and it, it's stunning. And even even if you're not interested in painting, um, it's worth a trip to, to go and check out her work. Do you have anyone employed here, or is it going to be run entirely by you for the first little while? Uh, no, I'm, I've got some employees still looking, still kind of figuring out that schedule. I'm hoping to open before the end of December. But, yeah, it'll it'll definitely be a team effort. I couldn't I couldn't take this on by myself. It was such a beautiful space on Prince William Street too. Those uh, yeah. those old historic buildings with the high ceilings and windows. It's going to be yeah, beautiful there. It used to be Flewelling's studio, and the ceilings were actually dropped. So I'm not sure what level they were at. It seems like a, you know eight to ten, I guess. And we removed that drop ceiling, so now they're more like fourteen, fifteen, um, and you can see the entirety of the windows. It really opened up the space and and just made it feel warmer and more inviting. So yeah, I'm very I'm very passionate about the space and and what it evolved into. Are are you an artist yourself? What kind of led you to to start this creative endeavor? I like to paint. I like to create. I like to doodle. Um, I don't have a lot of time to do it, and I don't have the space to do it. But that was one of the reasons this appealed to me. It was a designated space that I could leave a home for an hour and create and kind of leave that mess and leave that work behind um, and also socialize, right? So I wasn't home in a makeshift studio. You could be having a drink with friends while creating something. One of the points I, I hope to get across is that even if you're not necessarily interested in painting or 
experimenting with other craft nights. Um, I really feel like this could be a, a spectator sport also. So if you want to come in and have a latte or a cappuccino and just watch people create, to me that's really fun and, and really unique and, and just a, a different night out. I'm Danielle McCready. The town of Sussex enduring flooding once again following heavy rainfall Trout Creek overflowed. Paul Sambi's Kevin Worrell spoke with Chief Administrative Officer for the town, Scott Hatcher, about a master plan to avoid future flooding. It's not the first time you folks have had flooding uh, in the Sussex area um, and you have a new flood master plan. What, uh, what have you come up with? Well, I think uh, we, we've been working through the summer months to come up with uh, some sort of master plan between the, our community and our neighbouring community, the village of Sussex Corner, to try to address um, what seems to be a recurring issue uh, with uh, floodwaters uh, flowing through both communities. Um, our, you know, we, we're at a turning point where we're, we, we believe that we have to change the channel on, on the discussion and how we address to put the necessary infrastructure in to deal with floodings or we're just going to have to live and be content with uh, every once in a while being up to your belt buckle in water. So for, for the two communities, the elected officials, and I could say all of the residents, it's just not a way to live, and we're, we're in the process of making changes. Now, I do know that uh, you've had major flooding there several years ago. I, I remember Trout Creek jumped its banks and it made national news and uh, there was the RV, uh, the RV place out there. There were RVs floating around all over the place. Is Trout Creek the main issue or is it the Kennebecasis? Well, uh, Trout Creek is, the, is a tributary of the Kennebecasis, so they all kind of work in tandem. But what you explained there uh, with our issues that we experienced in 2014, as part of our look at that event, we, uh, we flew the two communities to get high-resolution photography, and we also picked up data that would give us ground points to do a, a very sophisticated digital terrain model of the two communities. And our assessment after looking at that in 2016, it became very evident that Trout Creek perhaps went in a different direction many, many years ago and basically emptied to the Kennebecasis, as it does now, in a different direction. And what we experienced or saw in 2014 was that uh, the reason that the water kind of breached its bank at that that position, what we think is the old stream bed, that we could perhaps reutilize that by putting an engineered uh, diversion channel in place and taking that top troublesome layer of water that flows through the two communities and divert that in a different direction. We're, we're sending the water into the same um, receiving stream, but this will provide much needed benefit for the uh, residential properties and business properties in both communities that are impacted at that time of need. Okay, so um, what uh, what's the next plan now? You've re you've put out your master plan. Do you ha you have to go to the various levels of government, or do you need to get it approved first, or an environmental protection assessment? Well, we. We've done a lot of work through uh, through the summer months in, in detailing with the various agencies that are uh, would be part of uh, the consultation process. So as it stands right now, our engineering consultants are finalizing the uh, calculations for uh, various big bridge structures throughout the community. And once they have that done, we'll have a, 
a formalized final copy to be uh, issued to the public of the master plan. And then our plan is to, after that, there is to start a heavy level of consultation with the public to uh, achieve buy-in, and perhaps we can begin the process of submitting the necessary funding applications for looking for other levels of government assistance. The, the solution is very expensive. It's outside the capacity of the two communities, but we believe it's necessary for people to live, play and grow here, that it has to be done. And uh, the environmental uh, parse- or, or, um, approvals are all part of the consultation process and the things that are necessary. And I, I think that if, if we could uh, have a, a consensus through the public consultation that we begin the, the process of perhaps applying for the money and positioning our project to um, receive approval environmentally, that in, um, in a, a few short years, but it will take a number of years, possibly five years, to begin the construction to change the direction of how our communities experience flooding. Now, five years, a lot can happen in five years. As we've seen, uh, storms of the century are now becoming not not only storms of the decade, but basically storms of the year now. So um, are you a little concerned that uh, in five years you you could experience flooding once again? Uh, It's just, it's the unfortunate part of of the overall solution with the master plan. You know, best case scenario, nothing happens. But we could have have begun our process uh, say next year and a few years into the into the uh, achieving the environmental approvals that we run the risk of the area that we're trying to protect um, is impacted again and that's the unfortunate thing of it but I don't think that we've there's no way that we can manage the risk until we actually install the infrastructure um, Mother Nature, very difficult to control. The unfortunate incident, uh, issue that we have is that it's a significant undertaking on what we're trying to achieve, and the improvals process to get to that point are not, uh, you know, a two-month process. Uh, you know, basically dealing with the Department of Transportation and, and how we kind of uh, go through the highway uh, proper property. Uh, so we've been told that's at least a two-year approval, and the environmental impact assessment process could um, could uh, could take in excess of two years to complete. We have a lot of work to do, and uh, and the sooner we get started, the better. But you're right. There's a, there's a risk, and and there's I don't think it can be avoided. I'm Kevin Worrell. That's it for this week's show, and that's it for this year. New shows return the second weekend in January. Happy holidays. I'm Tamara Steele.